Well, good morning and welcome to Calvary. Glad that you guys are here. My name is Dan and uh, thank you for coming out to our Easter celebration. We like to call it our resurrection celebration. And uh, so, so glad you guys are here today. If you've made it in today without a Bible in hand, please raise your hand. Let us bring a Bible to you. Bible and or outline, you'll need that today. And if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, and uh, make your way to chapter 8, Luke chapter 8 as uh, we take a few minutes and, and study through and consider. So it's Easter, Easter, um, Easter morning, and uh, I don't know what that means at your house, but with all the kids that we have at our house, what it, one of the things that it means is there's going to be an abundance of sugar and chocolate, and uh, it's, it's just that you can't, you can't find it. You know, it's, it's going to find its way in. And so what, what this means at our house, and parents, you tell me if this is how it works out at your house. They take the sugar, it hypes them up, then they get cranky, and then they crash. And when they crash, that's a beautiful thing, because then they're done. They're done. So, you know, when you think of Easter, some people think of that as that's what we're celebrating, but, you know, Christians for 2,000 years have been gathering together on Easter Sunday to celebrate two truths. And there on your outline, the, the first truth that we celebrate is the truth that Jesus is God. He's, he's more than a prophet. In what we would call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, it talked about this one who would be coming in the future. We know him as Jesus, but it said that he would be more than a prophet and more than a teacher. He, he would be literally God in the flesh. So one of the verses that if you've been coming to Calvary for any length of time, you become very familiar with comes from the book of Isaiah or the prophet Isaiah. And it says this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, now I've underlined this part, Mighty, what's that word? God. And in case we miss it, he says, Everlasting Father. So this one who would arrive, he would be fully man and he would be fully God. He's God. That's why we as Christians, we worship Jesus, which has become in Christianity the dividing line of everything that is Christian and everything that is not Christian. All Christians believe that Jesus is God. Everyone else believes that Jesus is not God. And that's the dividing line. So we celebrate that 2,000 years ago, God came to the earth. God came to the earth as a man and he stepped into our place and paid the price for all of our sins, all of the things that we ever did. But he proved that he was God by not just dying on the cross and being in the tomb, proving he was God by three days later coming back to life and uh, never dying again, which is very, very different than any other religious leader the world has ever known. You can go to their tomb, they are there. You cannot go to Jesus' tomb and find a body because he came back to life. So the second thing that we celebrate is that Jesus was raised from the dead, proving that he was God. There on your outline it says, God will accept us also because we believe in the one who, and I've underlined this, raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Jesus was given to die for our sins and he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. So, so everything centers around Jesus being raised from the dead. And uh, that's what we celebrate at Easter. So for 2,000 years, God has been revealing himself and bringing people to himself by the hundreds and thousands and, and millions, millions upon millions. 
And one of the things that we, we find is that for every person who has encountered Jesus, that when you encounter him, everything changes. Everything changes. And we become eternally grateful that he revealed himself to us because we entered into a personal relationship with him. And if I were to go around the room, if we were to go around the room today, one of the things that we'd find is that God used a number of different ways to bring us to that place where we were able to recognize him for who he is and, uh, and, and it caused us, he used that to cause us to come to him and receive him. And again, we, we've become eternally grateful. So what I wanted to do today is to look at a story that I've always found so fascinating. Uh, one of my favorite stories, and I know you go, Pastor Dan, you always say this is one of your favorite stories. Well, they all are. But this is a story that I think articulates how God works in our lives. And I think that we're going to find ourselves today, each and every one of us, somewhere in this story. So I'm going to pick it up in Luke chapter 8. Uh, make your way to verse 40, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. And it says, I'm going to read the first couple of verses here. Luke 8, verse 40. It says, as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him, for, he had, for, for they had been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus. Now if you have a pen, you want to underline Jairus' name. Jairus, and he was an official at the synagogue. He was a leader of the, the synagogue. And he fell, and I've underlined that, at Jesus' feet, and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about, and I've underlined, 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, and I've underlined, but as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. So I didn't put it on your outline, but the other Gospels, this story is told in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the other Gospels tell us that this man, Jairus, is a leader of the synagogue that's in a certain town called Capernaum. And so I wanted to just go ahead and put a map up on the screen. Uh, Israel kind of goes up and down, and if you go to the very top part, you'll see the, the blue part there, which is the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is just a large freshwater lake. It's, it's uh, eight miles long, it's four miles across. But at the very top, there's a little town there called Capernaum. And so Jairus is the leader of the synagogue, which is there in that little town. Now what's also important to know is that Jesus has a home base for his ministry, and it's there in the town of Capernaum. So when Jesus goes home, in the time that he's in ministry, it's always back to Capernaum. So that becomes his hometown when he's in ministry. Now when I come to a name in the Bible, I, I always want to look up the name because in the Bible names are always significant. So this ruler's name is Jairus. So what does Jairus mean? Well there on your outline it just simply means whom God enlightens, whom God enlightens. Or you can also say God will open his eyes. As the story goes, Jairus' eyes were not open early on. He's the leader of the synagogue there in Capernaum. When Jesus moved to Capernaum and began his ministry, he would go to the synagogue there in Capernaum. And at first they said such nice things about him. Uh, they, they, would, they loved his teaching. But over time they realized that Jesus wasn't really doing things the way that they thought that they should be done. And uh, so they become increasingly hostile or critical of him. One story is told, just to show you how critical there on your outline, when Mark tells the story in his gospel, he says, <clears throat> it says, another time he went to the synagogue, that would be there in Capernaum, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. 
So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And I put dot, dot, dot right there. So here's what takes place. Jesus goes, they're watching. Uh, They don't think that you should heal people on the Sabbath. Any other day is fine, but they had this crazy rule and we talk about that. So so what's Jesus going to do? Well, if you you know Jesus and you know the story, Jesus heals the man. And uh, that's in that little dot, dot, dot. After Jesus heals the man, this is how they respond, and it goes on. And it says, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might, and you want to underline, kill Jesus. Would you say that's a little bit critical, a little bit hostile? So Jairus is the leader of that synagogue. So that's how our story begins. So some suggest that because he's the leader of that synagogue, he's been hostile to Jesus' ministry. And uh, if that's the case, uh, being hostile to Jesus' ministry, uh, what we find today is that now it's not just some guy who showed up at the synagogue who has a situation. Now it's his little girl. And when it's his little girl, it changes everything. So I, I, if, if Jairus was one of those who was hostile to Jesus, uh, I I would imagine that as he sees his daughter getting sicker and sicker, he probably begins to think back on the man there in the synagogue who had you know, no use of his hand. And I wonder if Jairus began to think about how, you know, that man who came to the synagogue and uh, he, he was hoping that Jesus would heal him, you know, he was probably somebody's little boy. And when Jesus healed him, I was a little tough on him and I was a, a little bit tough on Jesus. But now it's my little girl. And, and for Jairus, at a certain point, he comes to realize as she's getting sicker and sicker that Jesus is his only hope. And, and I'm sure that he tried everything that he could try to help his little girl out, but nothing was working. And so he comes to the place and Jesus is his only hope. And so he does what any dad would do. He goes, he says, I'm putting all that aside. I'm going to Jesus because right now I need somebody to touch my little girl. And, and uh, some would say, well, maybe he wasn't all that hostile. Maybe he was just questioning. Uh, maybe he was there in the leadership, but he, but he wasn't one of those who was hostile. If that's the case, then we know he, maybe he was ambivalent towards Jesus. But, but either way, either way, he never took a stand for Jesus. But on this day, he comes to the place and he realizes that Jesus is his only hope. And one of the things that we find is that he did not come to the place of understanding that Jesus was his only hope until his life fell apart, till the bottom fell out of his life. And uh, there on your outline, go ahead and write this down, that God used a crisis to show Jairus that Jesus was his only hope. And a few moments ago, I said that Jairus's name means whom God will enlighten. And for Jairus, it took a crisis for him to come to the place where he realized that Jesus was his only hope. And I think if Jairus was here today, what he would say to us as a congregation, he'd say, I'm eternally grateful that he brought me to that place where I was able to recognize that he was my only hope. And what I I also love about the story is that when Jairus comes to Jesus and he gets it, uh, he he comes to Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, hey Jesus, can can you do me a favor? My little girl's sick. Do you think you could come over to my house? In verse 41, you notice how he arrives. It says, there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. And uh, we 
We tend to read that and we miss the, the significance of what's going on. But in those days and today, you didn't just go up to somebody and fall on your face before them unless they were somebody very, very special, uh, like a king or something like that. So what that tells us is Jairus realizes that there's something very special about Jesus and, and he needs what Jesus has. And, and if that means going and bowing down, whatever it means, and he begins to implore Jesus to, to come to his house. So I, I love that because, um, you know, for many of us, and, and uh, being here for so many years, I've got to hear some of the stories. And for many of us, the way that we came to a relationship with Jesus is that we, we found ourselves in a crisis like Jairus. And it was a crisis that we couldn't fix. And there was no hope. And, and we came to realize that if we were to get through this crisis, we needed something much greater than ourselves. And we came to realize that it was Jesus. And he used that in our life to bring us to him. Now, I think it's also important to say that, that God didn't cause the crisis, but he certainly used the crisis to bring Jairus to him. And what I, what I love about Jesus is, is his response. And this is why I can't be Jesus. Jesus can only be Jesus because I wouldn't respond like Jairus would. Uh, I wouldn't respond like Jesus responds. If it were me and uh, Jairus was part of the group that wanted to kill me, when Jairus came up, now I might not say it on the outside, but on the inside I'd be like, oh, want to kill me now? Yeah, yeah. Now you need some help, do you? <laughs> not on the outside, but the man behind the face might have a few thoughts like that. What I love about Jesus is verse 42. He had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. It says she was dying, and the very next word just says, but as he went. And what you get from that is that Jesus doesn't throw it in his face. Jesus doesn't remind him of the past. He comes to Jesus. He falls down. I recognize who you are. And Jesus says, let's go. And so what we would say about that, the way that Jesus responds to this man, if he's one of those that wanted to kill him earlier, we would say that Jesus responds with grace. Go ahead and write that down. And it's just like us. If we've come to him in a time of crisis, maybe we were hostile before, or maybe we were ambivalent, whatever it was, he didn't bring up the past. He just, just this is where we are, let's go forward. And he begins to go with Jairus. Well, for Jairus, we see that it took a crisis. So they begin to go, and then verse 43, the next verse, it says, and a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, and I've underlined 12 years, and could not be healed by anyone. Well, a few moments ago I said uh, uh, that this story is told in three Gospels, so each Gospel will give certain details, and, and other Gospels won't give as much detail. But Mark's gospel, when it tells this, here in, in Luke's gospel, it says she had an issue, of, uh, an issue, uh, a hemorrhage, and it was 12 years and couldn't be healed by anyone. But when Mark tells the story, he adds a few more details, and I want us to read those details. But as we do, I want you to underline a couple of words there on your outline. In Mark's gospel, it tells it like this. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, underline that, 12 years, and had endured much, underline that, endured much, at the hands of many physicians, and had spent all, underline spent all, all she had and was not helped, underline that, not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. 
And so you, you, you get in Mark's gospel, 12 years and endured much, spent all, not helped, grown worse. You and I are, are Westerners who live 2,000 years later on the other side of the world. And, and so we might miss what this would mean for her. The, the hemorrhage that she would have would mean in that very religious society that that would make her ceremonially unclean. Now that would mean that she couldn't go to the temple to worship. So for 12 years she hasn't been able to go to the temple and worship. It would also mean that, that, um, that, that her family, if they were to remain ceremonially clean, they wouldn't have been able to touch her. Now I'm assuming they did, they did, and the, you know just whatever. But they they probably didn't. But that would make them ceremonially unclean. But for most people who would know about her situation, if she were to touch them, that would make them ceremonially unclean. So many people in her world would wouldn't want to get too close because there was a real emphasis in those days on remaining ceremonially clean. Now for her. For her, in her situation, it's very different than Jairus' situation. Jairus, it took a crisis. But for her, she's just been looking for the, she's been looking for the answer. She's tried everything, you know, went to every doctor, spent all she had, and nothing worked. Nothing worked. And so for her, it's been this very, very painful life journey. And I, I think uh, we would all agree that, that for her, life had not turned out the way that she and every little girl dreams that life is going to turn out. And so it's been a very, very difficult journey. One day she hears about Jesus, and she hears about the healings, and something begins to happen, and she begins to realize that he's her only hope. So there on your your outline would say that God used a lifetime of searching for the answer to bring this woman to see that Jesus is the only hope. And for some of us, it's been the same thing. It wasn't that we were in a crisis. It wasn't that we were hostile. It wasn't, we, we just didn't know. But as we look at our lives, we've gone through the years, we've tried everything, experience, relationships, whatever it is, but, but we're still at that place where it's just never come together for us. And, and we've always had that sense that there's something more. Now, like her, I think it's the same with us when she meets Jesus she encounters him, everything changes. And it's the same with us. And I think it's also important to say in her situation and certainly our situation, and please write this down, that God didn't cause her pain, but he'll use it. He'll use it to bring her to the place. He'll bring it, use it to bring her to Jesus. And she and we, when God does that, we're eternally grateful. Verse 44, it says, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his, of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Uh, M- Matthew's gospel adds a little detail, and it just says there in your outline, she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. And uh, when it says saying, the idea is she's having this internal dialogue. She's talking herself into having enough courage to go up and actually touch Jesus. Well, verse 45, It says, and Jesus said, who's the one who touched me? And they were all denying it. And Peter said, master, people are crowding and pressuring in on you. But Jesus says, no, somebody did touch me. For I was aware what power had gone out of me. Now, I think, pretty confident, that Jesus knows who it was and what happened. 
But what Jesus is trying to do right now, and I want you to write this down, it's going to be important for our story. The one thing that Jesus is going to ask this woman to do is just to simply tell her story. Write that down. Tell her story. So verse 47, it says, when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling. And uh, I've underlined that word trembling. She's going to tell her story. But what I love about that is like for her and for us many times, and you want to write this down, telling her story is a little intimidating. So she's a little bit intimidated about telling her story. Verse 47, I'll read it again. When the woman saw that she'd not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. How she'd been immediately healed. Now, um, when she tells her story, this, this is the part I, I want to make sure that we all get. It's very simple. All she has to do, all she has to do is just say what God did for me. Go ahead and write that down. What God did for me. You see, the reason that we know that she'd had this condition for 12 years, that she'd been to every doctor, she'd spent all that she'd had, she'd never been helped, it only grew worse. Uh, she was saying to, about talk, touching Jesus. She went up, she touched, and she's immediately healed. The only reason we know any of that is because she told her story. She told her story. If she didn't tell her story, we wouldn't know that. I, I think for, for many of us, we're hesitant to tell our story about what God's done for us because, because we, we feel like we don't have all the answers. Well, she didn't have all the answers. All she had is a story about how she touched Jesus, here's what was going on, and now she was immediately healed. What you find in the Gospels when Jesus will uh, heal somebody or they encounter Jesus, many times the only thing they have to go on is just the story. And Jesus, Jesus will say, just go tell your story. That's all it takes. There is nothing more powerful than a changed life. It's very hard to argue against a changed life. So one of, one of the great stories that uh, we're all familiar with, there's this time where Jesus casts a demon out of it. It's a bunch of demons, like thousands. And uh, the, 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 they say, what, Jesus says, what's your name? They say, legion, for we are many. You guys know that story? So Jesus casts the demons out of this guy, and the guy responds to Jesus and says, can I travel with you? Can I be one of your guys and go with you? And Jesus says, no, here's what I want you to do. And there on your outline it says, Jesus says, return to your house and describe. Now with your pen in hand, he says, what great things God has done for you. Underline the word God. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus, underline Jesus, had done for him. Now, the first thing that's very important to understand, Jesus says, go say what God has done for you. So he goes and tells everybody what Jesus has done for him. And here's why. He recognizes that Jesus is God. And so he's telling people. So Jesus just says, go home and tell your story. It's very hard to argue. You know, they've seen this guy, the life before, they see the life now. Something's happened. Uh, Another story that we're very familiar with, a guy's been blind and uh, Jesus heals him. And so he has sight. So the, the religious leaders come and they're very critical and they're questioning what happened, what happened, what happened. He says, I, I don't have a lot of details, but here's what I know. They're in your outline. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Very hard to argue against. Wouldn't you agree? It's like, just tell your story. God did something and uh, that's what he asks us to do. So she tells her story. And then in verse 48, it says, he said to her, daughter. Now I want you to underline the word daughter. 
Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is the only time in the Gospels where Jesus calls somebody daughter. And and, uh, that would be interesting in those days because Jesus is, this is early in his ministry. He's 30, 31 years of age at this point. And this woman has had this condition for 12 years. So most, everybody agrees that this woman is probably a lot older than Jesus. So Jesus turns to her and says, daughter, your faith has made you well. As a matter of fact, the uh, word there on your outline for daughter, it should have abbreviated the definition, but it just means there in your outline, a female child. You wouldn't say that to a woman typically. And the crowd is probably looking on and saying, why, why did he call her daughter? Why did he use that term if she's, she's older than he is? Write, write this down and we'll unpack it. Right now, God doesn't want to expose her pain, but someone needs to hear her story so they can have hope right now, right now. So here's how this works. Uh, Jairus shows up, his daughter is dying, and uh, so as they're on the way, they're on your outline from Mark's gospel, it says a woman had a hemorrhage for 12 years, 12 years, 12 years. How old is Jairus' daughter? 12 years old. So Jairus is hearing 12 years, 12 years, 12 years. And uh, Jesus calls her daughter, and it's Jairus' daughter. So he's your daughter, daughter, daughter. She tells her story. Physicians say, no hope, it's getting worse, worse, worse. Well, Jairus' situation, and certainly he's been to the doctor, it's just getting worse, worse, worse. So you, you get the sense here that, that Jesus, as Jairus is hearing this, and he's connecting the dots, but Jesus is saying, I need you to tell your story right now. And why does Jesus want her to tell her story right now? Well, because of verse 49. Verse 49, it says this, while he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. So what we get from that, and you want to write this down, that Jairus needs to hear her story right now because his circumstances and respected voices are all saying there's no hope. There's no hope. And so the circumstances, she's passed, and it's over. They're saying, don't trouble the teacher any longer. It's, it's over. Come home. And, and respected voices, they come from his house. They love him. They love his daughter. They're grieving with him. And so this is a very painful thing. I, I, can't, I can't help but wonder uh, what that's like as a parent when you get the news that your child has, has passed. It's, you know, it's, it's got to be this just a wave that hits you of, of, of emotion and, and fear and, and dread and all that goes into it. And I know some of us here have, have had that experience, but he has that experience and it's, it's in the midst of that wave of emotion that Jesus turns to him and in verse 50, here's what Jesus says. Jesus, when Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer, only believe and she will be made well. Now it's also important to know that in the Gospels, up to this point in the story, in all four Gospels, Jesus hasn't raised anybody from the dead yet. So this is new territory from their perspective, and they're thinking that she's passed and it's over. 
Because up to this point, Jesus has healed people, but he's not actually raised anybody from the dead. All Jairus has to go on right now is what Jesus has just said. Don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. And the story of a lady who said 12 years got worse. Jesus called her daughter, touched Jesus, healed immediately. So it's in this situation that Jairus has a decision to make. He's either going to believe what his circumstances and the respected voices are saying, and we wouldn't, we wouldn't blame him if he did, or he's going to believe what Jesus says. Well, he believes what Jesus says, and we know that because of what happens next, verse 51. Verse 51, it says, when he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except for Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now, they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, stop weeping, for she's not died, she's not died, but is asleep. In verse 53, they began laughing at him. The, the word laughing can also be translated as deriding. So this is, uh, they're, they're mocking him at this point. And it goes on to say, knowing that she had died, knowing that she had died. We'll talk more about that when we come to this in Matthew's gospel. But then verse 54, it says, he, however, took her by the hand and called saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up immediately. And I love the fact that Jairus has just heard the story of a woman who touched Jesus and she was immediately healed. So she got up immediately and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed and he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. So here's what I love about this story. God takes two stories and he kind of weaves them together. But what we notice is that he uses very, very different circumstances to bring both people to the same place. For Jairus, it was a crisis in his life and it was a crisis like no other that he couldn't fix that that brought him to the place where he realizes that Jesus is his only hope. For this woman, it wasn't a a crisis. It was just a very painful, lifelong 12 years journey of searching for the answers and and never really finding something that worked. Coming to the place where she realizes that Jesus is her only hope. And God uses that and he brings it all together. And it's the same thing that he does in our lives. For some it's a crisis, for some it's just a, a long journey. We've been on a long journey looking for that answer. And what, what, I, what I love about this story also is something else that we're, we're going to see. I put a verse there because it's the same way that we come to Jesus. John would say it like this, as many as received him, and I want you to underline received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. In Jairus' story and in this woman's story, uh, Jairus may have been very hostile to Jesus early on. And in this woman's story, she just probably didn't know. But what we do know is that Jesus' heart for them never changed. It was always the same. What had to happen was in their heart, something had to change for them to receive Jesus. Apparently, from Jesus' perspective, he's already received them. Something needed to happen in them where they said, I receive you. And and what I love about that is that apparently in that relationship, when they come to Jesus, as 
Jairus comes and he recognizes, Jesus, you're my only hope. I, I know who you are. And she comes to him and says, you're my only hope. It, it begins the relationship that Jesus wanted to have all along. It's the relationship that he wanted. And, and what's so neat about this relationship, when you see how they came to Jesus, there was no ceremony. There, there was nothing added to it. They just came to Jesus, bowed down, you're my only hope, and the next thing, everything changes. That's really all it is. He invites us to come to him to receive him. Apparently he's already received us. Now, when we do that, because this is Easter, one of the things that we find is that there's a promise. And here's the promise, and I put it on your outline. When we come to him, here's what we experience. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. And you notice there two times he emphasizes that it's the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that comes to dwell in you. Here's what this means. The gospel is very simple. 2,000 years ago, God came to the earth as a man, and he lived a perfect life. And he stepped into our place, and he paid the price, the punishment, that we would have to pay. He couldn't bear to see you and I pay that price. So he stepped in, and he paid that price. When he paid that price, he offers us forgiveness, eternal life, the relationship with him if we receive him. But in addition to that, he says, the power that raised him from the dead, that spirit comes to dwell in us. And when his spirit comes to dwell in us, everything changes. Which is why you've never met someone who's walked with the Lord for years through the good times and the bad times who has ever said, I regret inviting him into my life and, and, and having his power. He carries you through those difficult times. Jesus would say it like this, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come into them. So apparently his heart, his desire never changes. Our desire, our heart has to change to where we receive him in. Maybe today you're like Jairus and you find yourself in a crisis. Maybe for the first time in your life, you can't fix it. And behind the scenes, God has been working. He didn't send the crisis, but he's using it to bring you to the place where you say, I recognize who you are, I need you. Or maybe life has just been a painful journey. And God didn't create the painful journey, but he's using that to bring you to the place where you say, I need you. If you would like to receive Jesus today, just know that his heart is always the same. He wants to have the relationship with you. But we have to open up. We have to receive. I'm going to pray in just a moment, and as I do, in your own way, just like there was no ceremony when they came to Jesus, you pray in your own way. I'll pray, and if that works for you, do that, but invite him to come into your life. And as I do that, he says, if you invite him in, he comes in, and he never leaves. And the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead comes inside and things become very different. But here's what I am going to ask you to do. When the woman came to Jesus, Jesus wanted her to tell her story. 
And so I'm going to ask you to do two things. One, I would like it if you invite Jesus today into your life, would you let us know by marking that on the back of your card so we know to be praying for you as, as you take that step? But then I would also ask you to tell somebody, maybe somebody who brought you today or somebody that you know is a believer, today I received Jesus, I invited him in. They would love to know that and uh, certainly they would be great people to come alongside of you as you begin your relationship with him. I'm going to pray and then we'll turn it back over to Kevin. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that for the past 2,000 years, you have been using all kinds of circumstances to bring each and every one of us to the place where we recognize that you are our answer. And so today, uh, for some it's crisis, for some it's just a journey, but we've come to the place and we've heard you speak to us, inviting us into that relationship. So here's what we say to you. Jesus, I receive you. I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins, anything I've ever done. And uh, as you step into my life, I pray and I invite the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to step into my life and, and to begin to do his work. Lord, as best as I know how from this point on, I want to get to know you and I want to follow you. And if you've invited him in that way, he promises to never leave. Now, for those of us who have known Jesus, we're walking with Jesus, maybe once again in this time and place where we live, what we heard the Lord say today is, you need to tell your story. There's some people around you right now you don't have to have all the answers, but they need to hear your story. And maybe you've heard Jesus say, because I want to use that story to give somebody hope and help bring them, bring them to Jesus. Father, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for Easter. I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you that you loved us enough to come to the earth, pay the price, and then to... to accept us and give us the invitation to receive you. I pray, God, that you help us to be the people of God that you've called us to be. Keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.